Well, good morning, my Notre Dame. How are you today? I mentioned we went to camping this weekend, so uh, I'm incredibly like I'm today, all in church today, and I got a birthday like everyone. Um, it's a, uh, it's, it's tough. I, I actually mentioned this morning this might have been birthday, I never fall asleep during my own sermon. This new series, we call it Ghost Stories. Obviously, going on with the kind of Halloween theme, but we're really focusing on the Holy Ghost, or as commonly referred to, the Holy Spirit of God. And so, for three weeks, we're just going to track and we're going to talk about Holy Spirit and what does it look like? What's in Scripture? Who is the Holy Spirit? And what does the Holy Spirit come and do? And it's the premise of this series really that God by the presence and the power of his Holy Spirit, that he no longer makes just like cameo appearances in your life, but that he actually dwells in us. And so that's kind of where we're going to start. That's the, the diving in point this week. And I want you to know this uh, as a church, that God is so much more than just something like you pray to in times of need. And God's so much more than just like somebody that you beg to and say, you know, I'll never do that again on Friday night. God's so much more. And we learn that when we learn about the Holy Spirit being in us. So if you got in here and you didn't get your sermon notes, you're going to want to have these because it's like jam-packed sermon notes to walk through this morning. And there'll be some things you might even have a little bit more curiosity about, and you want to just check that out and look in your own devotion time. So if you want to slip up your hands, if you didn't get those, um, we have a sub this morning. Jim Bethune is running the events. And so I thought, let's just make it as hard on Jim as possible. See how he moves. All right, let's dive right into this. As you get your notes, um, we're going to jump in. The best way, uh, really, for me to explain the activities of God and the, and the Holy Spirit is really to just divide up the history into two different sections. So that's what we're going to do this morning. In the first section of this history, it starts with creation, the beginning, Genesis of, of the Bible, and it goes all the way up to a thing called Pentecost. Now, um, this Pentecost, uh, it will, the key word in this section is the word with. Now, this Pentecost is something that that believers in God have followed and celebrated as, as a festival for years and years, thousands of years. But the Pentecost we're referring to is actually the one that's found in Acts chapter 2 of the Bible. Jesus is just like ascended up into heaven. That Pentecost, that's what we're talking about. We'll talk a little bit more later. So for creation of Pentecost, uh, the key word is the word with. So God is with his people, either through the power of the Holy Spirit or through the presence, the physical presence of Jesus Christ. God is with his people. That's the key word to remember. Now, the second section of history is from Pentecost all the way up to today, and it's ongoing. And this is a, a time where the key word we're going to find this morning is the word in. In, I am. The word in. And so where we live today, what we would say is the Holy Spirit is actually in us, dwells in us. And anyone who calls on the name of Jesus and is saved, remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago, we walked through that verse. And if you didn't listen already, if you missed September 27th, didn't listen to that message, uh, please do that. This week is important in the life of our church, but you'll see the foundation of our Holy Spirit talk 
as well uh, through that September 27th message. So let's just walk through the Old Testament to start, and let's look at a few passages that describe this first section of history where God is with his people. All right? So uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. We find that the Holy Spirit was with God at creation, hovering over the water. It wasn't like the Holy Spirit was created later. The Holy Spirit was with God in the beginning, all, all the way. Uh, the whole existence of God, which has no actual literal beginning, the Holy Spirit always was. And we find that creation, there he is. Next is chapter 2, verse uh, 2 and 3. We see the Holy Spirit, he's in this guy named Beazel. And here's what it says in that passage. And the Lord said to, to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, and the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Holy Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. And, and this was actually to create works of art, we find, uh, in, in the Old Testament, just later in that passage. In Numbers chapter 11, he's with the 70 elders. That's like, like 70 Patrick Breezes. 70 elders. They're not that kind of elders. Happy birthday, Patrick. This week we had a nice birthday. I think it was like his 93rd or something like that. No, not that kind of elder. Elders of God's people. So the leaders of God's people. He's with them. We find this. Then the Lord came down and called and spoke with him. And he took some of the power of the Spirit that was on him and put it into the seven Elders, when the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. In Judges chapter 6, he's with this guy named Gideon. And this is an awesome story, if you don't know it. Let me just read the first part here. Now, all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan camp in the valley of Jezreel. So they're setting up to bring war against uh, Gideon here. Then the Spirit of God came on Gideon. If you know the rest of the story, I mean, the Spirit of God made Gideon a warrior, we find in the Old Testament there. In Genesis chapter 3, we're introduced to a guy that you may know, uh, Samson, and we'll learn something about him right away. The woman gave birth to the boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. Already, we find that in Samson at birth. God's Spirit is the one who comes on Samson in power and in strength. In Samuel, chapter 16, verse 13. Yeah, you might know. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So David's anointed this future king, and the Spirit of God is with him. And what you need to know at this point is throughout the entire Old Testament that the Holy Spirit is with certain people, at certain times. And he empowers them to do all sorts of things in the Old Testament. In fact, if you ever got so inclined to just read through the Old Testament and just marked these occurrences, you would be amazed how many times the Holy Spirit of God shows up in the Old Testament. But here's the kicker. Throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit of God also leads certain people at certain times. We don't think about that often. The Bible says that you leave certain people. 
And we don't always know why. Sometimes he's with people and sometimes he leaves people. Example, 1 Samuel verse 14, chapter 16, verse 14, says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. Saul's currently the king, but the Holy Spirit leaves him. And if you know anything about Saul, you would know this, this continual pattern of disobedience and messing up before God. Here's another one. Judges chapter 16, verse 20. Same Samson we already talked about. And she, Delilah, bad girl, all right, called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know. What did he not know? The Lord had left him. And then David, in Psalm chapter 51, verse 11, David's just sinned with Bathsheba, and he's crying out to God. And it's interesting the plea he makes before God here. He says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. So for thousands of years in the Old Testament, God is with certain people at certain times, and then God's Spirit leaves certain people at certain times. And then when you get to the end, or near the end of the Old Testament, there's this prophet of God. His name is Joel. And Joel begins to wonder, what would it be like if God was permanently a part of the life of people? And here's what we find in the book of Joel, chapter 2, starting in verse 28. In those days, I will pour out my spirit on all my people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And, and so he says there, the day of the Lord is coming when like normal, ordinary, everyday people, people of God, they're going to actually, they're going to be fully immersed in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Everyday people. That's what Joel said. Joel's like saying, you know, that's a coming. As you do say in the South here, that's a coming. I learned that phrase when I moved here. Um, never say that? That is not true. You say it all the time. <laughs> all right. Re- rewind. He said that that day is coming. So, so be ready. The Spirit is coming and will be poured out on everyday, ordinary people, anyone. So let's, let's jump forward into the New Testament now. Uh, of the Bible, and we're going to continue the story. John chapter 16, we find here that Jesus, he is at the height of his ministry. He's spoken like nobody's ever spoken, and people want to be near him. He has challenged the religious leaders like no one's ever challenged the religious leaders before, and people were amazed by the way he talked to them. He's done miracles after miracles, some stuff they had never quite seen before. And Yet, Jesus, even though there's thousands of people following him now, he still loves to be with this small group of disciples and spend time with them and build into them. And in John chapter 16, Jesus is having like this major heart-to-heart talk with his disciples, some of his closest friends here, and Jesus is trying to like break some bad news, or they would think it's bad news, to them. Here's what it says in in chapter 16, starting in verse 5. Jesus talking. He says this. Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me where am I going. Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, some of your translations 
uh, might say the advocate or the helper or the comforter. These are Holy Spirit words. The comforter will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him. This is what Jesus tells him. Now let's just pause there for just a second. Let's take ourselves back a couple thousand years and try to understand this. You see, these disciples, we, we won't just walk in there in their shoes for a minute, or sandals for a minute. Their lives have been like pretty plain by cultural standards up to this point, right? And then Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus calls them away from their life and into this service and following here, him. And many of them, they're going to live and die like fishermen or one hated tax collector. But when Jesus comes on the scene, everything changes in their lives. And from that day on, these guys are never, ever the same. In fact, every single day, every week, they are just consumed with one thing. I've got to be with Jesus. I've got to follow him. I've got to know what, what is he going to say? What is he going to do? What is he going to have me do? What does he want from me? What is he going to teach me? I've got to be with Jesus. I've got to be around him. That had become their entire focus in their life. And did you catch this? Jesus is now saying he's going to leave them. I'm leaving. You know, yeah, I love you guys. It's been great, but I'm out of here. I'm, I'm done. And he actually says here, he's got the nerve to say, it's for your good that I leave. It's for your good. Somebody here says it's for your advantage that I leave. So put yourselves in the disciples' shoes for just a second. I mean, they're, they're hanging out with Jesus. They left everything to follow him. And now he's going to lead them. He's actually trying to convince them that it's for their good. They would be absolutely shell-shocked here. And I want you to know that Jesus, he's not trying to be cruel here. He's not unconcerned. In fact, he's very concerned. If you go back in, in the book of John, you'll find that in chapter 13 and 14 and 15, Jesus has already been trying to tell them that his time is coming and that he would be moving on. He's even talked already about crucifixion. And the thing about it is they just didn't want to hear it. They, they just didn't, couldn't put together the two and two of what Jesus was, was going to do and what he says was happening next. But you see, from Jesus' perspective, he's been with them for three years now. He's been traveling everywhere. He's been teaching into them. He's been speaking into their lives. He's been with his disciples. But catch this. Jesus has just been with them. He's been with them. And he knew that the great work of God actually needed to be done in them. It transformed their lives inside. And Jesus knew really that God's effectiveness, it was being limited by Jesus' flesh. Because Jesus could only be with so many people. And so he had to go so the Holy Spirit could come and this, this new setup of God being in his disciples all the way to today, you and I, could happen. Now, think for a second. It could be pretty cool, right, if Jesus was, had never departed from the earth. He was, like, still on the earth. He was just, you know, kind of got locked in at 33 years old and just uh, carried on for the last 2,000 years. He was still out there, and you could still find him. You could go follow him. Um, in our day, there'd be some, like, Google app, you know, some satellite that you could always know exactly, you know, the Jesus tracker kind of thing, that you could follow him wherever. I mean, it sounds like it'd be pretty cool. Um, he would have 
millions and millions of followers, like on Facebook and Instagram, would be crazy. Um, but that, that's how it would be. But still, physically, he can only be with so many people at certain times. But Jesus understood that when he went, and what he's saying in John chapter 16, is that there comes a day when the Holy Spirit comes, but guess what? God can be in all of you all the time. They can dwell in us. All of our churches that meet today, the ones that meet at this hour or later, that the Holy Spirit can be in us all, all the time. And that's why Jesus is saying he has to leave physically and prepare the way for the Holy Spirit. The with us is leaving, but the Holy Spirit is coming, and the Holy Spirit will be the in us. Here's a, an important theological point. I really think every Christian needs to understand this and have this memorized. Jesus came not only to give his life for us, but he actually came to give his life to us by the presence and the power of his Holy Spirit. That when we say Jesus lives in our heart, it is the Holy Spirit that actually lives in us and brings what God the Father brings to our life. And so that's the Holy Spirit and the transformation we start to see in the New Testament. So now let's let's look at this second part of history, this, this in us here that we're talking about here. You see, the Holy Spirit is in us. He's in you where he has the opportunity to be in you. And I just believe you need the Holy Spirit in you and I need the Holy Spirit in me to function in this life. So here's the question. How do I get the Holy Spirit in me? Have you ever asked that question or heard it asked? How do I get the Holy Spirit in my life? I believe that when we look as Christians that this Holy Spirit thing is a thing we like to say a lot of phrases about, but we don't always take the time to get a lot of biblical understanding about it. We think that it God, that's clear. Jesus is clear. The Holy Spirit's kind of mystical and weird out there. And so any kind of mystical and weird thing I think or that I see posted on Facebook, it probably works for the Holy Spirit. But there's actually biblical theology that tells us about the Holy Spirit. And when we ask this question, how do I get the Holy Spirit? I would say this one, I'm really glad you asked. Because there is this great passage that actually walks us through telling us exactly how one would receive and get the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 1. Jesus is getting ready to ascend up into heaven after his crucifixion, his resurrection, and now he's going to ascend up into heaven, and he tells his followers, hey, here's what you need to do. He says, you just need to wait. You just need to go to Jerusalem and just hang out a while. He says you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you're you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But for now, you need to just go wait and just hang out and sit because I'm going to send my spirit to you. So that's exactly what they did. In fact, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, we actually find that that is what they're doing. The, the disciples, the closest follower of Jesus. Remember, when they were with Jesus, Jesus sent them out to do miracles and all this Incredible stuff. They came back so pumped and excited that they came back and they shared their stories about it. Now they're reduced to sitting in an upper room just hanging out, waiting. No agenda. Just waiting. But they followed Jesus' instructions and that's what they did. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, remember that was 
the Pentecost I was referring to, that kind of divides the history section that we're talking about this morning. They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came down on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. Many of your translations say in, or excuse me, other tongues. Many of your translations say other languages, actually, as the Spirit enabled them. Let's just pause here for a second. You see, the Holy Spirit that Joel prophesied in the Old Testament, this Holy Spirit that Jesus just talked about in, in John chapter 16, we're actually now seeing that happen. And the Holy Spirit is coming down on, on normal, everyday, ordinary people, these disciples. That's what they were when Jesus called them out of their life into a life of service. Here's the neat thing. The very first, the first word we hear from one of these ordinary, everyday people is right there in the book of Acts, and it comes from the lips of Peter. He's filled with the Spirit, we just read that, and he begins to stand up in Acts chapter 2, and he starts to share like, it's called a sermon. It's really like his spiritual rant. He gets up and just starts talking about every good thing he knows about Jesus, and tracing the history of Jesus. And he shares this, this sermon or this talk, and it comes down to the end of his message. He said everything he knows about Jesus Christ, everything from the three years where he followed Jesus, everything he saw, he shares with the people. It wasn't that the Holy Spirit gave him new revelation or something he didn't know. The Holy Spirit gave him the ability and the power to get up and share it with this mass crowd, and that's what he did. At the very end of this, this verse we read, it says, when the people heard this, when they heard about Jesus, it says they were cut to the heart. It just cut them deep. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They were so motivated by this that it had such an impact on their heart and on their lives that Jesus Christ came to earth to be with them. That Jesus Christ would die on a cross for, for the remission of their sins. And that he would rise from the dead, go away, send his Holy Spirit, that his Holy Spirit could dwell in us. They were so moved by all of this in their heart. And then their response to Peter was, now what do we do? What do we do now? Tell me, what do we do? We're, we're ready to do it. You know the greatest thing about Wendover Hills, I believe, had nothing to do with, like, I've been there almost five years. It had nothing to do with me coming and, and pastoring the church. It, the greatest thing was when we got here, there was a small group of people, there was only about 40 of you or so, small group of people, and they were like this. We love Jesus. We're raring together. What do we do? What do we do? And we just together start putting things into play here at the church that the Lord has blessed over the last four and a half plus years. That's where these people are. They're just like, they're so moved. They believe on the words that Paul is, or Peter is sharing here. And then they say, now tell us, what do we do? What do we do from this point? So what, is, what does Peter say? If you keep reading, it's the very next verse. Here's what Peter replies. Significant reply. Peter replies, repent. Be baptized. That's making public profession of your faith. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, 
and what will happen, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, it's for your children, it's for all those who are off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Then the Bible says for all of you, repent and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. Skip to verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. In the last four years, four and a half years, our church has about quadrupled in size, about four times uh, in size. But we never had 3,000 come walking in the door. Um, that would be a, a rough problem for our donut table. If that, if that <laughs> verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. People are getting cut to the heart. They are so moved by this message of Jesus Christ and what he can do in their lives. They're willing to repent and be baptized. And we find that many, many, many do this. Listen, Wendell Hills, I, I just believe as a result of studying the scripture that a person just like me and you can receive the Holy Spirit in their lives. And they just want to make a personal decision to believe on Jesus Christ, to repent, to be baptized, to stand up and profess that faith, that the Holy Spirit will come into your life. And you don't have to experience the sound of rushing wind or fire, or you don't have to go out and like be able to speak like you know Spanish and Russian or elephant or whatever else. Uh, Peter gives this very simple explanation that we find here. Repent and, repent and be baptized. So here's what he says. The first thing you need to know. Repent. Repent. Everyone just say the word repent for me. Good. Thank you, three of you, for saying that. Oh, come on. Say the word repent. Yeah. Repent is a significant word. In fact, underline it, circle it, whatever you need to do in your notes so you remember this word. In our contemporary church setting, we're so nervous about offending anyone by talking about sin or condemnation or judgment or any of those words. The word repentance has been sliding out the door for several years now. But here's the problem. It doesn't slide off the pages of Scripture. It's right there. And, and it just jumps up into our face. And we have to deal with it. And in the very first speech that Peter makes after the Holy Spirit comes on him, the very first speech he makes about Jesus Christ, the people believe and they say, what do we do? And Peter says, repent. The first word out of his mouth. Repent. Here's a picture of repentance. Have you ever been like driving down the road and you go past your road and your exit? And like what do you do when you go past your road and your exit? You do like a U-turn, or you know your, your GPS thing. You know now you've missed it, and and uh, you have to do a U-turn. You have to figure out how to turn around. You have to uh, now adapt your course to get back to where you were originally going. But have you ever been down the road and you go past your exit, past your road, and you go, oh, oh man, that was amazing. Oh well, um, that's a bummer. I guess I'll just continue on in this direction. Like forever, or you look down, maybe half a tank of gas, and I guess that'll be left now. It, like you don't do that. You turn around, you get to where you're going, and that's exactly what repentance is. It's you and I realizing in our life, in the totality of our life, or in some specific area of our life, that you are off course, that you've missed your exit, that this is not where God wants you going. This is not what He wants you to do, and you make a U-turn. 
It's you saying, I'm turning around. I'm not going in this direction anymore. I'm going back up to my exit in my road, and I'm going to walk with God, and I'm going to rid myself of this thing that's in my life. The, the word repent here in the Greek is metaneo, is the word. And metaneo actually literally means to change your mind. Change your mind. It's this cognitive thing. It's not just a feeling, not just an emotional thing. Sometimes we, we land on that when we talk about the spirit. You know, it gets all emotional and we say, man, that spirit just fell in that place tonight. But in repentance, meant to nail to change a cognitive thing. I'm going to change my mind about how I'm living. And it's the first thing that Peter says we should do. Meant to nail. Repent. Change your mind. Change your direction. Totally in your life or since a specific area that God is calling you to. But before we look at the next one, can I just talk to Christians for just a second? All of you that have testimony about saying yes to Jesus Christ in your life, sometime in your life and, and walking forward in your life with Him. You see, if you're not careful, Christians, you've forgotten all about repentance. You thought that was a salvation word. I did that when I came to the altar and the preacher talked about repentance and I became a Christian. And you kind of thought that metaneo was just for long ago, not, not for now. But you can't be more wrong. You see, repentance it is for all of us. And God's calling some area of every one of our lives into repentance. He's speaking to every one of us this morning. There's some area where he's saying, I'm calling you to turn around. To turn around in your life and get back on track. To make a decision to change to say, this is not the way of God. This isn't the way of God. This isn't what God would have me be about. This isn't the fullness of life that God would have to offer. When I, when I gave myself to Jesus and I really bought into the idea that Jesus would bring new life, and I just brought all this junk along with me thinking I'd be fine with this stuff too. And it's God saying, no, reverse course. And I'm going to tell you as your pastor and really as your friend, I hope, that you're stifling the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life every time you choose not to repent. And so that's the first thing Peter talks about. The second thing Peter talks about is this thing called, uh, he says, be baptized. So you can underline that in your notes as well as significant. And the word here is actually baptizo. And the word literally means to plunge or immerse. Plunge or immerse. The meaning, the crux of this is that you plunge or immerse your life in with God. That you plunge in entirely. It's not just the signing up, you get a little membership card in the mail, and every once in a while when you want to use that membership card, you know, you just pop it out and you use it. It's a full immersion and plunging into a life with God. You don't just toy around with these things, but like you're fully instituted into what God is. And what he's designed your life to be. And the action, the sacrament that goes along with this, it's baptism. It's when we actually literally go under the water and come up. It's the action of this plunging and this immersion. And, and baptism, it's really, it's picturing your life with what Jesus did in his life. It, it's mirroring those up with one another. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. John was the one who baptized Jesus, you could say, in the Jordan River and plunged him in. But you know, it also pictures your life and my life with what Jesus did on the cross. In his death, his burial, and then his resurrection. 
And that's the symbolism of baptism when we go under water. Baptism by water, it's literally this outward sign of this inward work of God in your life. So Peter says, you need to repent, metanoia, you need to be baptized, baptizo. This all comes after you believe on the name of Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus Christ and your forgiveness of sins. And guess what he says after that? You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come on you. That's good news. Now, I've been pastoring for some kind of pastoral ministry, youth pastor or whatever, for 22 years now. I started when I was nine. But as I've been pastoring through those years, I don't know when we hit a topic like this, like, there'll be lots of questions. But some of you will be like, okay, okay, Tom, I, I get it. All right, I, I understand everything you said, but, um, but here's my question. Here's my question, Tom. Um, do I have to be baptized? I mean, do I really have to get out there and be baptized? Tom, here, here's another question. Um, Tom, can I, can I receive the Holy Spirit without repenting? Is there a way to do it that way? Or, or, or can I receive the Holy Spirit without being baptized uh, as well? Can I, can I work it that way? Or here, here's another question, Tom. Um, if I choose to be baptized, uh, here's, here's just what I want to know. When exactly does the Holy Spirit come on me? Like, is it like as I go down in the water, while I'm under the water, or like right when I pop up the surface of the water? Like, when does the Holy Spirit actually like, take ownership of me? When does this kind of thing... Now, so there's all kinds of questions that people would want to ask. If we're not careful, sometimes we use our questions to actually create a path of how we want to go on our own. So here's what I want to do for you in the final couple minutes we have together. I want to answer every single one of your questions. Every single one of them. If it takes till 3 o'clock, we're going to go through every single one of them. Now I'm going to answer, answer every single one of them, but I want to do it with a question. Here's the question. Why do you ask? Why do you ask those questions? You see, these people in the Bible, in Acts chapter 2, they heard Peter talking here. They heard about Jesus Christ and what Jesus had to do in their life. They were so moved by what, who Jesus was and what he could do and how he could transform their life. When we sing these songs and the words that we sing, and sometimes, you know, we sing, Bless your Lord, you're wonderful to my life. I lift my hands to you. you know, that, that's kind of how our whole persona on um, That's not these people in Acts chapter 2. They are so motivated by what Jesus can bring their life. They're cut to the heart. They say, what do, you, what do we do next? What do we do? And Peter says to them, clearly, he didn't, oh, wow, I didn't thought that before. Um, wow, I didn't even think anybody would respond. But uh, let me just, you know, no, immediately he knew, being led by the Holy Spirit, he knew to tell them, repent, repent. Turn from those ways. Those ways that have been hurting your life, those ways that have been causing damage in your life, turn from those things. Be baptized. Stand with, stand in front of people with the Holy Spirit and say to everyone, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm fully immersed and I'm fully plunged into a life with God. And I know in the world we live in, we, we could be like, you know, oh, okay, I know that um, 
you need to just say a prayer, or you just need to you know, fill out a card one Sunday morning, and, or maybe you just need to walk down an aisle or be near somebody else who's had an experience, and somehow like it rubs off and, and you're safe too, kind of thing. And I just want to tell you this morning, because we, we actually use some of those avenues. Sometimes we invite you forward, sometimes we ask you to fill out cards and stuff like that. And, and I just want to say this morning, just so you understand that in case you've gotten the wrong the wrong biblical view. I want to say to you clear. The Bible says this morning that you and I should believe on the name of Jesus Christ and that we should repent and that we should be baptized in his name. And then, not you might, not maybe, the start of this Holy Spirit series, the Bible says then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in you, dwelling and living in you. So, Maybe that uh, you today, um, maybe for you, you've missed your exit. It's time to turn around, and what you really need to do is surrender your life entirely. Believe on the name of Jesus. Uh, for you today, maybe the, the key thing right now is you're like, I kind of thought I had done some of that, but but there was no repentance, and you need to repent and say, I got to turn around. I got to get off this course of action. Maybe for you today, it's time to be baptized. Our next baptism service is, is December sixth. You can be back plenty of time to call your friends and your families and have them come and see your public testimony of saying yes to Jesus. You can write that on the card if you can communicate with us. Christians, if there's any area of your life you're not surrendering, I am a believer, God's number one, but if there's any area of your life that you're not surrendering this morning, any addiction, any ongoing foolish living, anything that like looks like your road from your past or or looks like an incorrect road, or you missed your exit, time to quit stifling the Holy Spirit and just repent today. The first part of David's verse that we read earlier from Psalm 51 says this. David talking, he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and do what? Renew a steadfast spirit within me. That may be what God's calling you to today. Repent. Be baptized. Renew His Spirit within you. That's how revival starts in your life. It most often starts through repentance. So this morning, I want to pray for you in this time. And I would recognize that for you, maybe God is already doing a, a work. He's already speaking to you before you got in the door here about something He's calling you to re- repent of. And I want to say, this is your time. Just go before God and confess it. And He'll receive it. In an instant. If there's anything you want us to pray with you about, to pray alongside of you, or if you just want to say, communicate to us and we pray for, use your card on the back. Or at the end, just come see me. Just say, Duncan, I have two minutes of your time. I'm happy to talk with you about anything. Or Anson, who was up here on stage as well. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you. Let me pray now. Father, I just believe that this whole confusion all the time about it, in our Christian lives about the Holy Spirit. I just thought, I don't feel the Spirit. How do I get the Spirit? What's all the Spirit talk all the time? Why does these people talk about the Spirit and they have to run up and down the aisles? Or, I just don't get all of this. This morning, the biblical message is simple. God's captivated you. And you said, yeah, that's where I want to live my life as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a Christian. 
process going along with it is the need to repent. Lord, forgive me. I'm convinced of turning around, turning my ways, Lord. I, I can't continue to live in sin. I can't live in ways that you called me as my Heavenly Father to not live. I need to repent. And the danger, and it could be for several of you, is that you thought you were saying yes to Jesus, but you never thought, you never thought I needed to do anything in repentance either. And so you've seen no fruit come. The Holy Spirit has no avenue to work in your life. So this morning, if that's you, it's time to just repent. You don't have to have a special ceremony here. You just have to go before God and speak in your heart and your head to speak to Him and say, Lord, forgive me. Turn from those ways. I believe that you are God who can deliver me. You can do it right, right here, right now. Clear the way for the Holy Spirit to be active in your life. several of you, you're like, I never thought about the idea of being fully immersed with God, and that's what baptism represents. And I didn't shy away from it because I don't, I don't know, I'm nervous about the whole thing, or I didn't think it was necessary, or whatever. But the power of the sacrament of baptism that God just laid out in your heart this morning. And right now, he, he's saying to you, just sign yourself up. Single sex, be baptized. Profess to your family, your friends, to this church that you are a believer, fully immersed with God. And then there's this avenue for accountability from this church family as well. Clear the way for the Holy Spirit to work in your life, to be active, to move, to empower you. Father, will you hear every single person that's offering some commitment to you now, something they're laying at your feet? Would you receive it? Bless them. Lord, my prayer is that for many this morning, this would be the starting point that the Holy Spirit would descend into them and live in them. this week. We're going to take up our tithes and offerings uh, this morning. Um, 